Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to VMB, the voice of Manhattan business, brought to you by the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, Bruce Hurwitz. You can find me on the web at hsstaffing.com. I hope everyone will be able to join me at noon next Wednesday when my guest will be Anil Milwani from 212 Tax and Advisory Services. We will be discussing year-end tax planning. To learn about all future shows, please visit our website, thevoiceofmanhattanbusiness.com. And please remember to visit the events page on the Chamber's website, manhattancc.org, to learn about upcoming events on the Chamber's calendar. I would, of course, be remiss if I did not congratulate President-elect Trump on his astounding victory in yesterday's election and to echo him in commending Mrs. Clinton for her years of service. Today's show commemorates and honors the most important service which anyone can give their country. This is our special Veterans Day program. I am delighted and honored to be joined today by Deborah Pulowski, from KEI Advisors. She's a graduate of West Point and served five years in the U.S. Army, rising to the rank of captain. We will be discussing women in the military. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. If you have any questions, feel free to call in The number is 805-243-1301, and dial 1 so I know you have a question. And I want to apologize to everyone for my voice, but I am in the midst of trying to defeat a cold. Deborah, welcome to the show, and most importantly, thank you for your service. Well, thank you, Bruce. I'm happy to be here. Well, it's our honor. Tell us about yourself and your company. Well, Bruce, uh, after serving in the military, as you mentioned, I'm West Point graduate, class of 1982, so I was the third class of women. We saw the last all-male class graduate. Um, I served in the military, and then I became what I still refer to as a civilian. Um, I was hired at National Fuel Gas as an engineer, so I used my West Point um, education to get my first job as a civilian, and then I rose through different positions, both as technical support, sales, sales management, until I got to a position of investor relations. Um, And from there, I also played that role at another company called American Precision Industries, a microcap company, Um, went to Danaher Corporation for a little bit, and then started my own firm in 2000, and that's Key Advisors. So Key Advisors is a very unique investor relations firm. We're a boutique firm based out of Buffalo, New York. I founded the company in 2000, and we've been serving small and micro-cap stocks that whole time as a full-service investor relations firm. So our clients basically hire Key so that they then have a very um, experienced, full-staffed investor relations office as a micro-cap company, which you typically could not afford. Thank you. Now, as you know, I'm involved with a networking group of graduates of all the U.S. military academies. And this is a little bit off topic, but 
What fascinates me is that a lot of the attendees at the group's events are in financial services. So I, I won't ask you why it is that financial services is, seems to be so popular, but what in your experience is the pref- are the preferred professions, let's say, of academy graduates? Well, Bruce, I'd, I'd suggest that the reason you probably run into a lot of um, military, former military people that are in financial services is because of where you're at. And New York City is the financial capital of the world still. Um, but I, what I understand is in some of my research and everything is the majority of the um, graduates actually um, are in manufacturing. And I, and I would suggest that the reason for that is, is because of the experience that we gain when we're in the military um, of being able to run and operate processes, lead people, and get things done. I got into financial services um, Well, actually, when I got into uh, the civilian world in the first place, you know, reading income statements and balance sheets is not something that you experience in the military world. So everybody that has gone, unless they they had this kind of education before they were in the military, um, most people have not gone through the kinds of business school and everything that you would go through to be in financial services. So I, I would say that it's more related to where you're at and that manufacturing sales, you'll, you'll see a lot of us in sales too. And then, of course, there are a lot of us that are, are contractors. Um, I happened to get into industrial relations because, um, because of my career path that I had, uh, first at National Fuel and then at American Precision Industries. Um, and then second, because what I really enjoyed was my ability to be able to be involved in all aspects of the company, knowing what's going on in all aspects of the company, and then being able to communicate that to the financial industry. And the the financial community is an extremely intelligent, um, well-versed group of people. So I enjoy working with them. And I also enjoy working with the CEOs and CFOs of public companies. So I, I would suggest that you know, you couldn't draw a conclusion about me actually being even in financial services. It is what I, what my business is now related to, um, but my path to get there didn't necessarily come up through uh, your normal route. Understood. Now, you served for five years in the Army and rose to the rank of captain. Give us the abridged version of your military career. And, okay. Um, because I know what you're going to be uh, – I'll leave it at that. Give us the abridged version of your career. Okay. Um, well, first off, I, I'll start with the fact that I, have, I really enjoyed um, my time in the military. And um, after graduating from West Point, I was a quartermaster officer, uh, which actually just really didn't mean much once I got into the military because I played a lot of different roles while I was there. Uh, my first major assignment after going to the officer basic course in, in uh, Fort Lee, Virginia, uh, was in Germany, where I was first the assistant adjutant for the 51st Maintenance Battalion, and then I was uh, promoted to adjutant for the battalion. And I did that. I, I, I actually, when I was the adjutant, was the first. I was a junior, junior first lieutenant by that time, <laughs> and the most junior officer that, that that battalion had had as an adjutant in over a decade. 
Um, really enjoyed that position. Had to punch my ticket as a platoon leader, so I became the petroleum, oil, and lubricants, or class three is what it's known in the military, uh, platoon leader with 574 Supply and Service Company. And then from there, I took command of the 172nd Ordnance Detachment. The Ordnance Detachment, um, we maintained which is going to really date me, but we maintained the Chaparral and Vulcan systems um, for the, uh, one for the um, air defense artillery unit that belonged to the 1st Infantry Division. We brought that back to Fort Riley, Kansas, and then from there I became the S-4, which is your logistics officer for um, the 1st Forward Support Battalion, and I know you told me to not use any acronyms or anything, but there's no one that if, unless you're in the military, you don't even understand what these roles were. Just like when I became a civilian, I, I had no idea what civilians did. My first interview, this is a side story. You can tell me to stop at any point. But no, my first right. interview. <laughs> Remember, you're talking to a recruiter. This is my bread okay. and butter. By all means, oh, okay. go for it. <laughs> well, one of my very first interviews that I did, I remember the gentleman asking me, he read my resume and everything, and he, he, which of course was only my military career at that point, and he asked me, he said, okay, I've read this, I don't really understand it. He said, so <laughs> tell me, what skill sets do you bring that, you know, how do you think that you could um, help us here? Um, and I, I looked at him and I said, well, I'm actually a trained killer and I doubt you need that skill set. So <laughs> <laughs> luckily he had a sense of humor left. <laughs> I once got a resume from a sniper and it read like he was applying for a job as a sniper. And <laughs> same thing, had to go. Thankfully he didn't put down any of the um, – shall we say, the quantitative points of his success as a sniper, <laughs> but it was all the skill set. But, um, uh, you know, the, the, yeah. No, it, it, but, it's, it's <laughs> difficult. The biggest problem is communicating in civilian because yes. civilians don't understand veterans, and veterans who have no civilian experience don't understand civilians. Correct. Correct. And I would suggest, too, that for for veterans um, that are leaving the military world and going into the civilian world, um, that some of the things that you should be aware of, the experience that you get in the military is really very transferable into the civilian world, but the civilians don't know it. And we are, tra we are trained to get stuff done. And I'll, I'll speak specifically to the Army since that's my experience. But we are trained to get stuff done. We know how to work as a team. We know how to make tough decisions. We can be very decisive. Um, we understand the ramifications of everything that you do within your unit and how that impacts other units. We have a very structured chain of command. We have very structured operations, as I was saying, you know, the S-1, whether you're the S-1 or 2 or 3 or 4. Everybody knows everybody's roles. And when I came into the civilian world, what I found was it is significantly less structured. But if you think about it, um, and I've not worked in, like, the huge organizations. Um, um, the largest one actually was National Fuel, which at the time was just a um, – we were a mid-cap stock, but that was also a long time ago, so it would have been a small-cap stock 
in today's world. Um, but so you don't have the same kind of structure. You don't have the officer structure and the enlisted structure. And so when you're moving into the civilian world, um, the thing to know most is that they don't have the roles and responsibilities as well defined as everybody else, which, by the way, is what I think creates great advantages for veterans in the civilian world is because, by definition, our tendency would be to see what isn't getting done and to pick it up and take care of it. Now, if you're in a very political organization, that gets to be hard but because then people like wonder why you're doing more than you're supposed to be. So I'm sorry, I'm sidetracked. No, 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 not at all. What I tell (laughs) veterans to say to employers, I don't care what the job is, you look at an employer and say, for the last two, three, five, ten years, I have been in an environment where you do not take sick days and you cannot say no, you have to get the job done, you're going to get the job. Because that's what you're yes. bringing to the table. I and had, I, think, um, I think civilians are starting to recognize it, or organizations are, I should say. Yes, most definitely. Tell me, why did you decide to serve? Um, I know it sounds corny, but it, I, I'm a patriot. And uh, I believe that... What year fact, did all you I enlist? Uh, so I, I graduated from well, high well, school well, in 19... I accepted to... Um, you didn't enlist is for the enlisted, and you weren't enlisted. Correct. Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> what year did you go to uh, West Point? Well, so I went to West Point in 1978, right out of right out of high school, um, and graduated in 1982. And like I said, I was the I was in third class of women at West Point. So our class, um, our females, we were um, the ones that got to see the last all male class of West Point graduate. Uh, the class is 1979, and I do tell folks that they made sure that we all knew that they were the last all-male class. Um, so I, I became active duty in the Army um, after graduation 1982. So it was, it was a while ago. <laughs> Explain. And I, still, the... and I still call everyone else civilians. <laughs> <laughs> Explain the process of getting accepted to West Point. I don't think every, any everybody knows it. And also okay. talk about being in that third class of women. Okay, so starting with the um, getting the into West Point aspect, the process. And I, and I actually work with the – I'm a field force member, as we're called, so I work with West Point admissions um, to help to recruit um, young, highly motivated and qualified um, kids out of high school to go to West Point. And so I, I'm actually involved with those processes. And what I would suggest is that anybody interested or that have kids that are interested in, in going into the military academies, um, that they start thinking about it in their not, not later than their freshman year in high school. And the reason is is because what the academies are looking for are well-rounded students. So it's you've you got to get the grades. There's no question one of the first screens that you're going to have is your SAT and ACT scores, you know, whether you make the cut to even go further in the process. Um, but we're, we're looking for well-rounded students, so you need to be involved. We want to see you in sports. We want to see you in activities. We want to see you in your communities. Um, so that's why you want to start early to understand what it means to become a cadet at one of the academies. 
then then you need to to get in. You need to start your process um, seriously when you're a junior in high school. And this is when you should go to like the academy nights that many of the Congress um, people have, and I don't think congressmen, but you know the senators and the congressmen have, so that you can learn what the process is for getting a nomination because you will need a nomination from a representative of Congress. That's what. It's the representative. It's not the senator. No, the senators, so each of them, the representatives have certain numbers of nominations they can make, and the senators also do. Oh, okay. 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 So, um, and then I, me, for example, my dad was retired Air Force, so I actually had a presidential nomination um, to get into the the academy. But uh, Even though he was Air Force? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm not trying to I, be funny. Uh, no, I know, but and actually, yeah. I it did um, the Air Force Academy. Because there's an Air Force like Academy. Number one source. The, yeah, there is an Air Force yeah. Academy, um, and the Air Force Academy was my first choice, but they didn't take me because my eyesight was so poor. Um, and actually, all I ever really wanted to be was a fighter pilot. So then, then you should ask me, well, why didn't you go into the Navy? And that's that's a whole other story there too. But <laughs> anyway, so you need to start soon, and you need to go online, and there's the portal there for the early entry, if you will. Um, but then you won't get in until the first semester, second semester, or January of your junior year. And then you need to be very active. The, it's all through the web portals, um, and you need to get everything done. And I tell the the candidates that the process of getting into the academy is in and of itself a test. Um, you have to be able to follow instructions. You have to stay on top of everything that needs to get done. Um, it's, it's a cumbersome process. There's a lot of things that you need to do, um, and, but you need to be in charge of it. Um, and believe me, that, that, that's some of the things that those of us that are like field force members are looking for, uh, the independent student that's taking care of themselves getting it done. So in other words, Mommy and Daddy shouldn't be doing it for you. Now, I want to, and I, I warned you about this be, just before we got started. I'm catching up on my reading, and I'm reading the um, autobiography of General Sherman. And he wrote something that I want to ask you about. Now, we're talking about 1840. He wrote that in preparation for going to West Point, the two most important things for him to study what they demanded the most were French and math. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. He also okay. wrote that he graduated six in his class out of 43, but those 43 graduates were what remained of 100 original students or cadets. Mm-hmm. So almost 60% dropped out. Well, the dropout so my, rate now. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, you should that, ask that's the question. My, no, no, no. That, that's rate, what, that, that's oh, okay. <laughs> Well, yeah. to to this day, still. Um, so when I was there, um, and all my classmates, you went to your first class, your plebe year, and your P, which is our professors, we call them P's, um, would tell the class, and they'd say, "Okay, look to your left and look to your right. Yeah. One of the three of you will be gone before you graduate." So that's, they that's did that at the Hebrew rate. University in Jerusalem as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, so my cl- my class is an example, and and the attrition rates for women have improved to better match the um, 
the overall rate, if you will, of the academy. Uh, but when I went in my class, we had like a, I'm going to give you round numbers. There were 1,200 of us that went in. There were 900 of us that graduated. Of the 1,200, there were 120 women, and of 120 women, 60 graduated. So we lost, wow. lost half. Wow. Um, but and those, that's those, because of the those physical? attrition rates have improved. It's because of the physical demands more than the academic? Mm-hmm. No, as a matter of fact, the women women going to West Point raised the academic standards of the military academies. Um, well, that's we, what I'm saying that they would yes, that yes. they wouldn't make it because of the physical demands. No, I would I would argue that it had a lot more to do and in our time with the social issues of integrating wow. women into the academies. I mean, there's some really smart women. There were some very athletic women. Um, I'm not the most athletic person. I'm 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 athletic but I'm not like a good sports athlete sort of type. <laughs> I had I had That's a lot okay. of you know how to kill people. That's something I'm not gonna argue with you. <laughs> but anyways, so no, I, I would argue it was the social integration issues. There were a number n- there were good numbers of issues, some of which I only learned later as we as our, our fellow classmates, the women are the women in my class and, and many of the other classes do this too. We get together at least once a year. And there's stories that I, I'm learning about things that happened at the academy um, amongst our classmates that you never knew was happening. So it was it was not an easy integration. I understand. Now, just a reminder, you're listening to the Voice of Manhattan Business. My guest today is Deborah Pawlowski from KEI Advisors. We are discussing women in the military. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301 and dial 1 so I know you have a question. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. Deborah, when you served, what if any restrictions were placed upon you because you were a woman? Um... I'm not sure if I really understand the question. What, I can were there tell, things that you were not allowed to do that the male students in oh, West okay. Point were well, permitted? There was, there was nothing. There, I mean, actually, one of the big things that's going around right now is boxing. Um, so the women did not take boxing. It's one of the plead courses that, you know, um, is infamous at West Point. And uh, the women did not take boxing, but women are now taking boxing at West Point. Um, what otherwise, about martial we did arts? Every, um, well, what, what the women did take was uh, we we took a course called self defense, is what they called okay. it when I was there. Um, so it was it was you know basically training how to you know beat someone up if they were to attack you in a in a garage or something, but. But it taught you a lot of good techniques that I think all women. I, I think I think girls should be taught um, some of those trait skills or whatever you want to call them in high school, even on how to defend yourself. But um, so that that was one of the things. Otherwise, we did everything that the the men did. I, you know, I was, you know, you carried all of the if you ha- carried the M60, you carried the I won't call them what we called them the radios. Um, 
we did everything. We we did all of the runs. We did all of the field exercises. Oh, I know it. There was another one. Instead of doing pull-ups, uh, women did the flex arm hang. And I'm not quite sure where that's at right now. But I know that I know that women now. Um, there, there are more and more women that are doing pull-ups now um, than you ever did way back when because it wasn't something that was um, a physical development that was encouraged in schools back then, you know, the, the upper body strength. Um, think about it, even the sports and stuff. Um, I remember my classmate, uh, her daughter, when her daughter was playing hockey because, you know, the girls didn't play hockey back then either. We played field hockey but not ice hockey. Um, so there were probably a lot of those kind of things that aren't necessarily because it was restrictions. It was just the, where society was at at that point in time. Um, does that does that make sense? Sure. Oh, there were there sure. were things that we did then that they are not doing now too. For example, um, you know, I, I see the I see the um, the women cadets and I look at them. And their hair is so long, and I wonder how do you even get through the academy with hair that long? We were required to cut our hair short. So we, that was one thing that uh, is different now than what we had back then and, and different, different things about makeup. They're allowing women to be women um, at West Point and, and in the military, in the academies, I would say, more so than when we were there and they were trying to integrate us. It, now, my next question, just by way of background, I don't understand this because uh, I served for a year and a half in the Israeli Army and – Women did everything. I mean, my um, the person who taught me how to shoot a rifle, an M16, a Galil, and an Uzi submachine gun, was a woman uh, 10 years younger than I was. Mm-hmm. So I don't get the well argument so here, yeah, of here's, why here's, women here's, shouldn't be permitted to do certain things. Explain okay, that. so yeah, so let me. Okay, so let me. I'm not talking about at the academy. I'm talking about serving in, in, in the military. General. Okay, so really, yeah. all there's the the army is structured so that you have you have combat arms, combat support arms, and combat service support. So there's branches within the military, and they all fall into those cat- categories. What has recently just been opened up is what's is are the combat arms branches. So infantry and armor. Um, women were not um, allowed to go into infantry and armor um, until Congress passed that just, just recently. Um, I would argue that part of that was also our societal norms here uh, because even though I might not have been infantry or um, armor, I, I even had uh, a letter from um, a fellow uh, army woman that she wrote she wrote me a letter and she was telling me all about when we first invaded Iraq and uh, she she wrote this letter and said okay so we were there she was telling me all about the sounds on the battlefield telling me about um, where they were in position and she was an MP so the MPs were actually clearing the paths and everything for the for the rest of the troops to include the infantry and the Marines to come up from behind um, so when you when we have these branch structures in in a battlefield today, you don't have the lines that we used to have, um, but society doesn't know that. But the branch structure, the restriction there, um, 
prevented women because usually the the infantry and the armor, for example, are the branches where you tend to have the highest career path, you know, in the military. Um, I would argue that that probably is changing now too. Um, but that, so those those are the things that changed. But I was firing every weapon that was that was available. Um, I was, I was, when I was the 172nd Ordnance Detachment Commander, that was an all-male unit. As a matter of fact, it was a, the table of organization actually didn't allow for women in it, but I was there. Um, I was part of the Air Defense Artillery Battalion that um, was all-male. You know, so I was the only female in amongst whatever it was, 400 soldiers, um, to include all-male leadership and everything. So it, it appears more on the civilian side, and, and I could be wrong, but in my, in my experience, you weren't as restricted as society believed that you were, except for when it came to career opportunities and the career path, which has changed. What does type of women? Yeah, it does. It does. What okay. type of women should enlist? And by that I mean their characteristics. Who's going to be successful? And why, patriotism aside, why should they enlist or decide to serve? Well, personally, I think that um, everyone should have to serve, <laughs> male, female, or otherwise, because um, it's, it's an experience that teaches you, you, you know, in, when you're in the military and you're making decisions, even if it's not in, um, in wartime scenarios, you're making decisions about life or death. You know, you're, you're choosing to run an organization so that it can protect the freedom of this country. That's an intense kind of environment. That's where you have a true purpose for what you're doing in your job. And I think that that carries over to anything and everything else that everybody can do. But when you say what type of woman, I, I, that's where I say everybody could benefit, in my mind, from having served in the military or at least served in some form of fashion in that kind of a structured environment to understand where they fit in the picture and that they do have a reason for being. Um, and then, and I look at all of the women that I've known in the military, and we come in every kind of form and fashion. We all have, we're all unique each in our own way. So I, you can't categorize it. You couldn't put in a bucket and say that's the kind of woman that would serve well in the military, or or a guy. You can't. You couldn't say it for men either. Lastly, talk to us about the transition for women from the, the military to civilian. I see it a lot, and I do see differences because I work with a lot of veterans, and I see differences between the men and the women. Well, tell me what differences are you seeing? Well, it, it, the men come to me, and they are... Uh, true story, obviously. Uh, I'm interviewing, giving career counseling to a veteran, uh, to a Marine, two tours of duty, if I remember correctly, in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. And the only way I can describe it, and you'll understand, is he was sitting at attention. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get the guy to smile. I couldn't get – there was no body language except for being at attention. 
And finally he said to me that he was afraid. And I just laughed. I said, you know, two, two, three tours of duty in war zones and you're afraid of me? And he said, well, I, this is all so new. Uh, it, it's, it's scary. With women, I never had that. They're, I found them to be more open, more amenable, more um, more open and more uh, amenable. On the other hand, they would tell me that the way that they are treated by civilians is sort of the... It's like they won't... They're not being treated like the other women. They're being treated like the other men because they're coming from the army or, or the military. It doesn't matter which um, service. Mm-hmm. So, and I talked to them about that. I said, okay, you know, the, these guys think of you as somebody who can snap their neck like a twig. All right. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, that, but that gets them to laugh. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why I say things like that. You've got and you've got to maneuver more away from the military. You've got to be even more cognizant of what you're saying than the men. Well, let me because, let me let me propose that perhaps the reason is is because when you served in the military, you develop a kind of bearing, if you will, yes. that is direct and strong. And for the civilian world to have women that have that kind of bearing, um, and this, this, by the way, goes to our whole society, if you will, and why, why we're still talking about women in the workplace. I don't even know why that's a dis- point of discussion. It shouldn't even, it shouldn't need to be. But so if you're, if you have this different kind of bearing, it becomes intimidating to men and other women that have never been in the military. So they might be being treated different without knowing that part of the reason is is because they're such a strong, good person. True. One of the things I tell them is that the men are intimidated. They're not, you know, as I said, the person who taught me, I mean, thankfully I never was put in, um, I never had to fire a weapon in anger, let's put it that way. Um, But the woman who taught, or the person who taught me, how to fire a weapon was a woman. I was 27, 28 years of age, taking orders from 19 and 20 year olds, mm-hmm. and it doesn't bother didn't bother me then a bit. Doesn't bother me today. If I were to go out and get a real job, and I'm being um, uh, supervised by by someone younger than me, eh, fine. Right, exactly, you know. and, and that's. I mean. Is what if if the world could actually operate under the premise of capabilities, um, knowledge, capabilities, and experience, and it, you know you didn't see if the person wore a skirt or slacks or boots or whatever, um, you know it'd be a lot easier. And I've just always I've always been that way, and I've been I've probably been blessed from the perspective that everywhere I've worked and all of the all of the folks that I've worked with through my whole, whether it was a military career or my civilian career, um, I worked with some very wonderful people. My all of all of my clients are great people. Um, 
I only have out of out of all my clients. I'll, I'll point out um, in in all of the time I've been doing this, I've been running this business for 16 years. Um, I've only had I've never had a, a female CEO yet, um, and I've only had three uh, female CFOs. And so the majority still in today's society, when you're talking about those kind of roles, CEOs and CFOs of publicly traded companies. Um, it's still very male dominated. I don't know I how I got to ask that topic. because this is the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. Is your company considered a women-owned business or a veteran-owned mm-hmm. business? It's or it's, both? Uh, it's a it's a woman veteran-owned business. So you have the double whammy there for mm-hmm. government contracts. If for government contracts, but I nothing yeah. to do is yeah. No, no, I understand. I understand. Deborah, I want to thank you profusely for uh, you know you, you uh, volunteered on relative short notice and I really appreciate your coming on today before I let you go what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you um, my phone my office phone is 716-843-3908 my email is d-p-a-w-l-o-w-s-k-i at k-e-i advisors Dot com, um, and you can go and visit our website at www.keyadvisors.com. And key is key again. K E I yes. Well, thank you again, Deborah, for coming on the show, and I thank you also for your service. Thank you, Bruce. I enjoyed this. It was a good conversation. Thank you. And as always, a thank you to our listeners, but most importantly, a special thank you to our veterans and their families who every day sacrifice so much that we continue to take for granted all the freedoms which we have and so many others strive to obtain. Have a meaningful Veterans Day.